Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest in our series of spoiler special podcasts. This will be a day long remembered. It has seen the end of our wait for the next Star Wars film, The Force Awakens. And it will soon see the end of four idiots talking about its every plot twist in excruciating micro detail. Those four idiots are, of course, first of all, the man who was incredibly on set of Star Wars. Episode 5, The Empire Strikes Back, when he was just a bairn. It's James Dyer. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I was indeed. Next up is our Geek Queen, the author of Empire's four-star review of The Force Awakens. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's Helen O'Hara. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Avoid five-star reviews, Helen. <laughs> it was an honest four stars. I wasn't just scared of Attack of the clones in it. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. Last but not least, uh, well, actually not last but not least, because that's me. Last but not least uh, is the man who's a lobot to Orlando, the man they call Dan Solo, because he lives on Dan Tuin. Basically, it's Dan Jolin. How are you? Kylo Dan, please. Kylo Dan. Yeah, he, he based his hair on me. And then there's me. Yes, the guy who gave Attack of the Clones five stars. Yes, that was a long time ago. Yes, I was young and foolish. No, I don't stand by it anymore. No, I don't think it invalidates my opinion of this movie. Uh, and no, I wouldn't give it five stars. Okay? We yeah, good? I think we've covered everything good? possible there. Okay. I can't stars. believe you gave Attack of the Clone five stars, oh, Chris. Yeah. What a dick. <laughs> Such a nerve herder. All right, before we talk about the film and all the spoilerific glory, including that bit where Chewie grabs Han's leg and just will not stop pumping, uh, that's here from one of the movie's chief creative officers. Uh, Lawrence Kasdan is, is, of course, the man who co-wrote The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi to name but two films. And he co-wrote the script for The Force Awakens along with J.J. Abrams. Helen and James went to speak to him in a posh London hotel just a couple of minutes ago. We did. Enjoy. Well, welcome to the Empire Podcast. We are joined today by Lawrence Kasdan. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me. We loved Star Wars The Force Awakens. Great. We thought it was great. And it, it had so many, you know, callbacks to familiar elements that, that we know and love, and then also the, these new kind of ingredients. So how long was the process to get that balance right and to get it in the shape we now see it? Well, I um, was involved with Episode 7, which became The Force Awakens, for three years. It's just exactly three years. And... Uh, since Kathy and George Lucas called me and said we're going to do some more there was no Disney involved or anything they said we're going to do some more Star Wars movies would you come up and talk to us come up to the ranch the Skywalker Ranch and talk to us about it and um, I said I would I wasn't sure that I wanted to be involved and I was a little relieved when they said that uh, Michael Arndt had been hired to do the next episode because I thought Whoever writes that episode, I'm not sure what you do with it. But they said, here are these other stories we'd like to do. And the one that caught my attention was Han Solo, because a young Han Solo, because I like, that's my favorite character. So I said, well, I would think about that, doing the Han Solo. And they said, well, that's great, but we would also like to hire you to be a consultant on episode seven. And um, I said, okay, you know, I don't know what that means exactly, but... (laughs) And at first it was once a week meeting with this story group and then it became more than that and then it became a lot more than that. And then there were certain difficulties with Michael being able to do it under the amount of time pressure that there was. And after about nine months, Michael stepped away and JJ and I took over The Force Awakens. Michael's lovely, talented man, I think that the the situation was not right for him. You know, he, he didn't feel it. Then JJ and I found ourselves... You know, in October 
beginning of November 2013, faced with there were people on staff in Pinewood and uh, everywhere, and more and more people on payroll and no screenplays. So we had some time pressure, and we were able to produce a first draft in six weeks, and and kept writing for another two years. But uh, <laughs> uh, So when you say how was the involvement, that was what the involvement was. It was two years of intense writing. After George, you're, you're essentially Star Wars royalty. I mean, having written mm. Empire, having written Jedi, and there, there are so many callbacks in this film yes. to the previous films. I think one of the first I noticed was when you were on board the Star Destroyer and you pan across and you see Michael Culver, Admiral Nida from yes. uh, Empire Strikes Back. Was that something where when you were writing you thought, that would be cool? What's he been doing? No, I, no. I think there are a lot of those, and a lot of those have to do with J.J. and a lot of people on the huge crew, you know, saying, you know, we could put so-and-so here and we could put so-and-so there. There are certain ones that we knew were essential. And even when Michael Arndt was involved, we were talking about, well, we've got to have a little of this, we've got to have a little of that. When J.J. and I took over the project, we said, okay, now we're starting again. Let's know specifically what we want in this movie and there were certain absolute must-have things for no reason from nobody's dictated except our own which was i want to see this i want to see that what kind of things were those well you knew that there had to be a moment that you first saw the falcon and that that would have enormous that all these moments would have enormous resonance for people who cared about this thing you know if you don't care about it, then nothing's going to change that. But if you do care about it, if it's been a part of your life, then that mo- every one of those moments has enormous weight. So you don't want to throw them away. And, you know, one of the things I think that I had felt personally, it had nothing to do with J.J., was that some things had been given away without enough value during the period when I was away from the saga. You know, that you'd just see too much, you'd see it too fast. There was no specialness to the presentation of something which is iconic and which has a real place in, you know, in your sense of the saga. And so without making everything a big to-do, you want to give it a place. Yeah. You can give it a setting, even if you go by it very quickly. But you also sort of subverted that sometimes because mm-hmm. something like Kylo Ren's mm-hmm. rage and the rather quivering young officer who yes. comes to report to him, we think, yes. oh, we know how this is going to yes. go. And it, it doesn't go that way, yes. which I thought was and great. That's, that's the best kind of fun when you think something's going to go one way and it goes another. And, you know, and when you've been involved in writing and creating these things, you wonder, you know, well, will people get ahead of you? Will they think, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm about to see the Falcon before they see the Falcon? But they don't. <laughs> people don't and so the kick of it and the fun of it is total yeah. and I think even for people who get reports of the movie they don't they're not ready at the moment when they're actually seeing it if it's done well and J.J. directed it beautifully mm-hmm. so you see that kind of thing again and again and so you know oh there's a moment when we first see the Falcon there's a moment when Han and Chewie are going to be on the Falcon for the first time. That is going to have enormous... And you could see with the early trailer that people had an emotional reaction to it when when Harrison said, you know, Chewie, we're home. Yeah. It's just more powerful than rationality. 
It's an emotional thing. And there are all things like that all through the movie. Now, you said just now that Han is your favorite, and, and he plays a very big role in this movie. I'm guessing that's partly as a result and partly because he's, he's a lot of people's favorites. Yeah. Can you talk to us about how you conceived his role and you know how you saw it going? Because yeah. you've been, let's be honest, kind of trying to kill him since Empire, haven't you? <laughs> when I was working on the first trilogy, I was always lobbying to kill somebody major because I felt that that gave gravitas to the story. If everyone came out fine all the time, there was no danger, there's no jeopardy. And Harrison, who was ambivalent at that time about his participation, was, um, you know, he was all for that. I think in Jedi, really, you know, we talk about Empire, but I think in Jedi. And I was pushing George. I was saying that would be a great idea. I think it should cost us. And, you know, by the end of Empire, you do have to worry about Han. But I think George was correct to keep him alive. So that's always been an issue. It's always like, how much danger is there here? What is the real jeopardy in this saga? And to have him obviously killed in such an emotional way by, essentially, his son. The character of Kylo Ren, I think, is something that will surprise people because he's, he's not Vader. You know, he's a very different type of character. I mean, did you go on to this thinking, we want someone who is you know, almost like the anti-Vader, but also yeah. trying to be Vader? We wanted it to be more like life, and life is complicated. And life, people are not all one thing or another. And there are many evil people in the world, but there's usually a reason that got them there. And people who are very good have aspects of them that are very evil. And those are all the things that have always interested me in not just my work with the saga, but with my other movies. And so to have a villain who is complicated and conflicted and is in obvious pain, and who has not worked out his feelings about his father and his legacy, and who is his role model. Those things were all fascinating to me. And when we got Adam, it was enhanced, because he embodies that so powerfully, and I don't think there's ever been a character like Kylo in the movies, and Adam embodies it so perfectly. There is so much self conflict. This film isn't entirely complete. It doesn't tie up every single loose end. Yeah. What kind of conversations did you have about how much to leave hanging and how much to, to leave yeah. unfinished, I guess? Yeah. Well, you want it to be open-ended. We definitely want it to be open-ended, but we didn't want to dictate where it was going. These movies, and people underestimate this, but the all six of these movies are the, that preceded this, now the seventh, are determined by the directors who do them. So A New Hope has George's ebullience. He has his feeling that there would never be another Star Wars. He has his rebellion against Hollywood and his love for those things, the pulp and the Flash Gordon and Kurosawa, everything that had influenced him up till then. And then when he miraculously was able, with his own money, to make The Empire Strikes Back, he made the most important decision ever in the whole saga, I think. And he said, my teacher from SC, Irvin Kirshner, who had never done anything like A New Hope, but had made New York art films and had made The Eyes of Laura Mars and, you know, Loving. These were art films from the East Coast. And George 
brilliantly said, that's the flavor that I want for The Empire Strikes Back. And it changed everything, not just the revelation of Darth being the father, but the tone of everything changed from then on. And that's when I came into it, and I thought, this is so much more interesting, and I love A New Hope, but this makes it more than A New Hope. So each director defines the movie, and Ryan Johnson, who will do the next episode, will change it enormously. Chris Miller and Phil Lord, who will do the Han movie, will make something I can't even anticipate, and I've written a couple drafts of it already, (laughs) but I have no clue what it will be. Was it always your decision, or always your thinking, that you would keep Luke essentially out of the action and have him just appear at the end? As soon as we started talking about it, it all made perfect sense. Just to keep him as... He's almost the MacGuffin of the film, really, isn't he? He is. Yeah. And it, it, it makes the end very powerful, I think. Can I just ask you one, one thing about the young Han Solo movie? I was very sceptical when that was announced, because I'm yeah. like, I don't, I don't want to know, almost. I, yeah. like, I like him as the sort of this mythic, iconic yeah. figure. Why am I wrong? Well, I think it won't be the thing you're worried about. It will not be like, here's where he was born, and this is how he was raised. I think what it'll be is, what was he like... Well, 10 years earlier, you know, maybe a little earlier, you'll get a glimpse. But what formed the person that we meet in the cantina? It's not so much about his specific history. It's about what makes a person like that. And he's not fully formed in the cantina. Kurosawa once said, you know, the heroes are the ones that are still changing and the villains are locked and petrified into what they are. And Harrison embodies in Force Awakens someone who's still not settled on who he is. Interesting. All right, I'm on board now. Okay. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Interestingly, that hotel had big signs up in the Star Wars floor, which they'd taken over an entire floor, saying, please don't geotag any photos. Don't geotag any photos. Yeah, they wanted it to be kept secret. It was was very modern passive aggression. No geotagging. (laughs) Did you uh, Geonosis tag? Uh, <laughs> I did, yes, yes, obviously. That was allowed. <laughs> As ever for all our spoiler specials, uh, a quick warning. This is a spoiler special. This, we will discuss third act stuff in great detail. So if you have not seen The Force Awakens, if you're that person who has so far not seen the film, then get to see the film. Go, go now, go see it, and then come back. We'll still be here. It's the magic of podcasts. Uh, and then you can enjoy it. And if you're one of those people who hasn't seen the film but just wants to spoil it for everybody, then what are you doing? Take a good You're the worst. You're the worst person. It is worth saying the level of trolling over this film has been off the charts uh, with people just randomly going onto unrelated articles and putting massive spoilers of, for example, Han Solo's death, uh, where everyone can see it. There's yeah. a special place in hell for people like that. This is this this takes uh, those people who uh, uh, what was it Half Blood Prince after the Half Blood Prince was released. <laughs> the, there's a gr- footage on the, the video on the internet of people driving past a queue of people queuing outside. I think it's a Waterstones, Barnes and Noble, I think Barnes and Noble and in the states, and they literally what do they yell? They yell Dumbledore dies, and then they, they yelled Snape kills Dumbledore. Snape kills Dumbledore, which. I realise we've just given away, um, but in fairness, I think maybe the statute of limitations has passed in that one. Just maybe. Maybe, maybe. Uh, send all hate tweets to Helen. Uh, right, so where should we start? Where should we start with this film? Should we start with the feels? <laughs> should we start with the emotions? What we felt, each of us, as we watched the film and where we came out? Excitement, adventure, mm-hmm. a Jedi craves not these things. Okay. And yet, it delivered lots of both, I thought. 
but yes, I, I felt I felt five years old, honestly. Again, the whole thing, is there was a bit where Debbie Perry, our said, was sitting next to me. She said she kept turning over to look at me and I had this just like wide-eyed, open-mouthed expression all the way through the film because it was Star Wars and it was new Star Wars and that is a thing that comes along very rarely. So many feels all the way through, uh-huh. very excited. Yeah, I actually sort of, Burst out laughing a few times because I was just like, I can't believe I'm seeing this. This is so cool. Um, and I also cried a few times because I... Really? But I, I okay. saw what was coming before it happened. So I was crying before it happened. And that was, yeah, that was upsetting. You saw things before they happened. Uh, yeah, well, the force is strong <laughs> The force is strong with you. Dan? I was, I, was, I was just engaged and curious, really. I mean, I wasn't jumping up and down in my seat or anything like that. I've been burned before uh, <laughs> by Star Wars. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I actually no, no. I kind of you know uh, like like a true Jedi, as, as, as James said. I, I kind of sort of managed to sort of just you know play down the emotions and just go in and feel quite quite pleasantly detached. Um, but then when the um, words came up on the screen uh-huh. and the crawl started, yeah. uh, that was when I started sort of you know a little tingle started and and I, I think it built and built and built during the first half hour and then and then I kind of just plateaued after that it's for me it's the B flat major it's it's that you you see the long time ago in a galaxy far far away and then it just makes you wait and you wait and you wait and then the B flat major and Star Wars and you just squee for all your worth yeah I I, I have to say I was I I was weird because the night before I wasn't excited at all you sent me a text saying, we're seeing Star Wars tomorrow, and I sent you back the Alan Partridge shrugging uh, gif as a reaction. And then throughout the day, I got more and more, you know, oh my God, we're going to see new Star Wars. Mm. This is amazing. And then we, you, you queued up, you psychotic host beast. And Nick, it wasn't just me, and Emma. <laughs> no, but it was entirely at your instigation. It was, yeah. You queued up, I think, maybe about 25 to 30 minutes before anybody else. You went three hours before the film began, two hours before the door opened. The next person in the queue, kudos, uh, Mark Kermode. <laughs> well done to well done <laughs> With to his him. son, yeah. Uh, with his son. And you went and queued up. And then I, we went, Helen and I went out and joined you about an hour later, something like that. And the excitement got me. I was lit- Helen can attest, I was looking at my watch going, 10 minutes till we get in, 5 minutes till we get in. And then when we got into the IMAX, I ran in screaming, Star Wars, Star Wars. Like, I was 12 years old again. And it was absolutely amazing. And a really funny thing happened. We, we sat in our seats. Do you remember this? Yeah, they started it. We sat in our seats. And we were literally sitting down. They put up the, they put up the holding card, you know, Star Wars UK, first UK screening. And then the Lucasfilm logo started playing. And then the words a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away came up on the screen in that font. And we all kind of went, hang on, what, what's happening? It's like, oh, shit, they're playing the film. And the guy in the projection booth was clearly doing a test or he'd pressed the wrong button or something. And so however many people were in that room suddenly started yelling, no, stop the film, stop the film, <laughs> like an hour before it began. Um, but I have to say, you know, even though we didn't have the Fox fanfare, for me... The goosebumps lasted with me for a good 10, 15 minutes. You see the Lucasfilm logo. And no matter what the horrors George has put us through over the last few years, <laughs> there's something about that logo and the, the way it twinkles that just has so much promise contained within mm. it. I did miss the Fox fanfare, but let's get past that. And then you're right, those words, that font, the crawl, Right from the off, right, right away, they got you by the chaffers. Luke Skywalker. Has and we vanished. should say the crawl has no mention of taxation of trade <laughs> rates, doesn't. and that was awesome. Yeah, you, you mentioned the fanfare though. It's worth noting the fanfare was essentially resurrected just for Star Wars because mm. Fox had stopped using that years before, and Lucas resurrected it, and John Williams re 
did the music for it just for that film, which is why it's always on the soundtracks because it's 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 indivisible from yeah. this franchise for me. Absolutely. So I I think it starts tremendously well. Where do you want to start? Do you want to? Should we just talk? Should we go for the big ones? Right from the off. Should we should we pick the low hanging fruit and talk about that first? Seize that fruit. So years ago, Harrison Ford wanted to kill off Han Solo mm-hmm. uh, in Return of the Jedi. You interviewed Lawrence Kasdan. For the, for the magazine and Caston said he wanted to kill him off in Empire Strikes Back yeah he yeah. campaigned to George he said you, a major character needs to die in Empire he said you need you need that weight and George really fought him on it and wouldn't have any of it and uh, he's basically he's, he's the Star Wars headsman is Lawrence Kasdan <laughs> uh, and then when Jedi came on it's right George now we have to do it we've got to do it and obviously Ford was campaigning for it as well uh, and he resisted but he's not here anymore Kasdan. Well, they, they, they did kill a major character in Jedi Darth Vader <laughs> okay, but yeah, a bad guy dying at the end of your trilogy is not a big surprise. After he turns good again. Ah, oh, well, yeah, but yeah, that's like it's a it's good storytelling, but it's it's not you know a surprise in the same way. Um, they killed Jabba the Hutt as well. We were we, we yeah, so beloved. But we don't care about him. <laughs> um, but Lawrence Kasdan, it's worth mentioning, does now concede that George was right. That he thinks George mm. was right to keep Han Solo alive. I think he, he was, was right. An important enough character and a beloved yeah. enough character. Um, not anymore. And yet. He thought he was right to keep him alive then, uh, only to cruelly kill him. Yes. So, yep. Han Solo is dead. We don't see a body in time-honoured fashion. Uh, so the, the door is open should Harrison Ford want to return. But we've got to assume that he does not want to return. We've got to assume, and this is just us, just just chit-chatting, that part of Harrison Ford's reason for coming back was that this time, yeah. definitively... I will not be back for episodes eight and nine. It's like Charlton Heston in Beneath the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> he would only come back if they killed him. It's yeah. like uh, Leonard Nimoy in Wrath of Khan. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly <laughs> like that. That didn't work out so well yeah. <laughs> in terms of staying dead. But listen, he was stabbed through presumably the heart, certainly the torso, mm-hmm. um, at close range with a lightsaber, you know, fully mm-hmm. through the body. The body that that did for Qui Gon Jinn. So. Uh, it would, yeah, it, it seems pretty definitive that he then fell an enormous distance. Yes, and then the thing that he fell into uh-huh. burst into a new sun. <laughs> so I mean, it 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 feels definitive yes. to me. I know yeah. we didn't see mm. a body, but mm. uh, Force Ghost sure have it. Yeah, pr- plan. But but a lot of things happen off screen in Star Wars. So <laughs> how, for example, does Kylo Ren? Sorry. Ben Solo get mm. hold of Darth Vader's helmet. That happens off screen. Okay. And the, uh, towards the end of the film, yeah. Supreme Leader Snoke goes, Hey, hey, General Hux, this place is falling apart. You know what you should do? You should probably go and get off. Uh, not get off. Ooh, that'd be steady. terrible. Yeah. That'd be, you know, well, it's 12 we'll a 12A. Uh, you, you should get Kylo Ren, sorry, Ben Solo, and you should get off the planet with him now, quickly. Uh, so go and do that. So who's to say that at that point, Kylo wasn't. Climbing down somewhere, even though he's unconscious, climbing down somewhere, getting his dad's corpse and taking it with him so he could put it on display like the sicko he is. I mean, that's a 10 minute period <laughs> at most. Because bear in mind that Finn and Ray <laughs> run and he's already in front of them when they get to the forest. Because he has force speed. He has force boots. Magic he shoes. He has force boots. But, I, I, I'm not convinced by that, but sure. Okay. I mean, you know, just a thought. weirder, badder things have happened. Just a thought. Okay, but let's talk about Han's death. 
the heavily telegraphed death of Han Solo. Let's talk about yeah. it. Yeah. What? How did? How did you feel? Do you think JJ pulled it off effectively? Do you think Han is dead? What about the, the complexity of Kylo Ren's character? I know Helen, you have big thoughts on this. I do. Let's hear him. Well, I, I said in the review. Uh, 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 something that you described as, I think, indefensible. Um, <laughs> and I know about indefensible <laughs> Star Wars reviews, believe me. But I said that he, he may be the best Star Wars villain. And I honestly, I think he might be. I think he's absolutely fascinating. No. I think it's <laughs> But you, you've had you 40 years. <laughs> you've had 40 years of Darth Vader. And I think that this is a better character. This, Kylo Ren does in about 15 minutes what the prequels failed to do in three movies, which is tell a compelling story about a man's fall from grace. That uh, There was a point in this film where I thought it is going to be a five-star film and it was all to do with him and that confrontation with Han Solo. I thought that was absolutely terrific. I thought the emotions were loaded up after his, you know, I thought a beautifully written uh, scene with Leia where they're talking about everything, but in a, in a non-obvious, non-schmaltzy way. There's a huge amount of emotion in that scene, but it's not you know, played up. It's not it's not overdone. I thought it was just beautiful, beautiful scene. And then and then he goes and he confronts his son and there's the he's playing it as if he's about to do the right thing and, and everyone's hoping, even though you suspect in your heart of well, hearts he is, that he's not he is gonna... doing the right thing from a certain point of view. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Obi Dan. Um but you know, he's the the idea that the the light side is the seductive power here is fascinating. The idea that he's he's fighting against that part of his nature as Luke fought against the other part of his. Fascinating, beautiful, mirroring, uh, great thematic stuff. Um, and I, I feel like Han gets his moment because I feel like when he touches his face before he falls, I feel like that's really going to haunt him. That's genuinely, that's that's the first crack in his armour and he is really, really badly cracked by the end of the film, literally across his face. Oh my goodness, like thematically it's, it's brilliant. It's a beautifully shot as well. I watched it again last night and there's a point where you you see this sort of humanity in his face when he's saying, will you help me? He says, yes, anything. Uh, and then the sun dies yeah. outside. You see the sun die and the light falls. You see the shadow kind of falls over Driver's face. And, that's and the red when, light is the only one yeah, left on him. And it's him. only red light there and that's when you think, oh shit. Yeah. And he almost takes it as permission to do what he does. Yeah. He almost takes it as Han signing off on it, which it kind of is. Mm-hmm. I think Han's willing to do give his life for his son, literally, just as Vader was ultimately. It's it's oh, just the parallels, man. Yeah, so Han obviously is quite aware as he steps onto that platform with no handholds. Who the hell builds these <laughs> universes? What honestly, health and safety. Where are the health and safety guys? Well, they fell into that massive cavern. Cavern? Chasm. Chasm. Down to the planet's core. (laughs) Yes. That handy hole down to the core of the planet (laughs) that we keep in the middle of this open building without Guys, I think we should put some hand holes (laughs) on this thing. Um, So I think Han at that point, yeah, he's walking onto that platform knowing that there's a very, very good chance that he's not coming back. Uh, I didn't. The death didn't work as well for me as it did for you guys. I felt that it was heavily telegraphed. I felt it was a little bit too manipulative. Uh, it follows a time-honored Star Wars tradition of having a major character bumped off, um, but just managed to position enough uh, characters around it so they can see it and yell no at the right moment. <laughs> Uh, so you know, uh, Ray and Finn arrive just just in time to see a Chewy. Poor old Chewy. Oh, poor Chewy. I felt that that needed a bit more. Actually, I mm. thought Leia should have definitely hugged him at the end, not Ray. I also wasn't clear why Finn and Ray climbed all of those um, ladder rungs outside 
just to have a view. They didn't seem to be doing else anything else up there. So they climb enormously high. They see the thing happen, and yeah. then they climb back down. Yeah, it's curious. It's a little odd. Okay. It's it's. I I mean, who did any of us not see it coming? I'm, unfortunately, I knew this was coming. I, it was one of the few things about the film I did know in you, advance. You knew it controversially. It wasn't just a hunch. Yeah, I knew this. How did you know? Because uh, uh, I. Then when I was researching the first feature for the mag, I did an awful lot of reading of the leaked stuff that came off the production set, and I read some pages. You turned to the dark side. I turned to the dark side, and I really, really enormously regretted it, but I, at the time I thought I was doing due diligence and researching. I went in cold. Yeah, but you still saw it coming. But then you had the right feature. So. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Dan? Um, I, actually, funny enough, I was having a conversation with some 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 people just last week, and uh, they said, what do you know about it? I said, well, we don't know much. And they said, oh, what do you think? I said, well, I think I think a major character's going to die. And I, they went, you're talking about Han Solo, aren't you? And I went, I didn't say, no, I didn't. But I was thinking that. So it was, but it was just, for me, it was just a guess, just because it, I, I just, it just seemed like an obvious thing to do. Yeah. You do the math as well, and you're just thinking, well, okay, well, it, it, it probably isn't going to be Luke, because even if he is in this film, very very briefly it's very unlikely they're going to bring Luke Skywalker the hero of the last trilogy back just to immediately bump him off Mm. it's probably not going to be Chewie they did that in the former expanded universe Leia again not really in it that much it feels like Han Solo and I thought the film did a very very good job of making this Han Solo feel like classic Han Solo but also giving him an emotional underpinning that I don't think he ever really had I mean yeah. yes obviously he gets put in carbonite and that's that's terrible and I do feel he <laughs> lost his edge <laughs> it's pretty bad for him uh, he lost his edge somewhat I think in Jedi and I think Abrams and Kazdan really worked hard to press the reset button on a lot of characters in this, in this movie uh, but in particular uh, Han and Chewie uh, I, th- I, th- I think Chewie should have gone into a proper Wookiee rage I like actually, a real yeah. proper I mean I actually it, to be honest I, you know if kind of not that I want Chewie to die, but yeah. I kind of—I was almost like he would throw himself off. He yes. would this because these guys was, had a life bond thing, didn't I they? I was—I was actually crying more after Han died because I thought they were about to kill Chewie. Yeah. And when I saw it the second time, I thought that they were going to have Chewie. I, I thought that they actually should have had Chewie go really berserk. I mean, he was mm. shooting stormtroopers right, left, and centre. Like he, he actually kills an enormous number of people in that scene. Yeah. I kind of wanted to see him ripping them limb from limb. We know yeah. he's supposed to be able to rip a droid's arm off. He could have thrown those guys into that cavern. Easy. Little inconsistency with the bowcaster, which we'd already established, could knock a stormtrooper 10 feet backwards, and yet it caused a mere flesh wound when it hit Kylo Ren. But, but going back to what you're saying but about he Han Solo... He probably deflected it with... you Because know, he, uh, he can stop... He can. That uh, is true. Light, uh, ...laser bolts yeah, in midair. That air. is true. So he probably had, saw it coming. But you mentioned the, the hanniness, and I thought that in particular was came across very strongly. And it was a side of Harrison Ford we've almost not seen in a very long time. Yeah. That wisecracking cocksure sort of non-growly version. And when I spoke to Jojo about this early on, he said his main note for Ford on this was he didn't want growly. Growly was something he really wanted to avoid. And his biggest concern about getting them back was that he'd feel like you were seeing the actors, not the characters. They'd step back into these roles, but you'd see Harrison Ford, you'd see Carrie Fisher, you wouldn't see Solo. And interestingly, I wonder whether it would have been the same had it not been for the onset accident. Because all of Ford's uh, scenes were re-recorded after the accident. 
They read it because he hadn't done that much, but they read it all of it. And anecdotally, he was very much uh, a changed man after that. Like his his mindset was different. He he was much more into the solo mindset than he'd begun. So I'm saying it was a conspiracy. And JJ basically closed the door on him <laughs> because he was fucking it up. And so they shut him in a door. Uh, and when he came back, he was better. Wow! Uh, as your so. legal counsel, <laughs> I'd like to make clear that we do not make any accusations of that sort. Yes. <laughs> oh God! Okay, <laughs> I have I, I I have a problem. We know. I mean, I, I like yeah. I like yeah. to film a great deal, but I have a I have a slight issue, and I see if you guys agree with me, or let's or let's have a let's have a mass debate. I have an issue with the fact that Han and Leia and Luke don't have a scene together, and I know the film was constructed as a search for yeah. Luke Skywalker. I know they probably started with the end of the movie. That's probably one of the images that they had first in their head. But for me, it feels like a tremendous lost opportunity. Do you guys feel the same? We could hope for a flashback. Yeah, next time they don't do flashbacks though. Star Wars well, doesn't do they, flashbacks. But they could. They did a force. They did a force flashback uh, yeah. earlier on when uh, when um, when Ray uh, touches, touches looks uh, sabers. And there's mm. going to be a lot of, I, if not flashback, a lot of sort of retro exposition where they're going to have to fill in the gaps because yeah. you don't know about the, you don't know how Max von Sydow knew Ben Solo. You don't know how he corrupted the other Jedi. You don't know where the Knights of Ren came from. You don't know how the lightsaber got to Maz Kanata. There's an awful lot of stuff that, frankly, if they don't go back and explain, you're going to be irritated by. So they do need to go back and cover a lot of ground. That they've you don't know, about. for example, how the First Order came to prominence. I mean, it's, my reading on it is that Luke Skywalker's decision to go into exile created a power vacuum, in a way. The guy who was the great protector of the universe, who's legendarily powerful Jedi, disappears. And so there was no one there to stop the First Order. I mean, that's my take on it. I don't think that's fair. I think he's on a mission to do something. We're told he's on the search for the first Jedi temple. He's clearly looking for something. Maybe he doesn't trust himself as a teacher after what happened with Kylo Ren and, and the slaughter of, of all his other students or his other compatriots, whatever. Maybe he's trying to somehow ensure the Jedi's survival because, quite frankly, at that point, they've been through two major near-extinction events in 30 <laughs> years. You can understand why he would want to maybe check... That there was a if that there check was a way to avoid himself. check himself before he wrecks himself. <laughs> that there's a way to avoid this. There's a way to strengthen his hand and strengthen his ability to protect others yeah. before he puts other force users in harm's way again, or or puts them in a position to be harmful. Because the state of the universe is quite ambiguous in this. Because mm. there is a new republic, which is apparently sympathetic to the resistance. But that's curious because by its very name, resistance, it seems to be something that's anti the established authority. So how does the first order fit in, apart from, you know, blowing them up, uh, fit in with the republic? Because JJ talked a lot about how the first order is an organisation that admired the empire, that wanted to finish the work that they started. And the thinking point for that was that obviously at the end of the Second World War, uh, a lot of the Nazis fled Germany and went and hid in Argentina and South America. And uh, his whole thing with Kasdan was, what if they all went to South America, but they started working together again and they started up a new, you know, fascist body? That's essentially your, your first order. Um, but that's, I mean, and not a lot of that is conveyed. You know, a lot of that's but, left out. But are they out. in it's control or not? Who's in control? Well, it's unclear because theoretically... Or is it just a civil governed, war? It seems that it's governed by the, the New Republic, but they don't seem to have, mm. for example, a standing army of any kind. Well, um, so what, are they a huge paramilitary organisation? I don't know. Anyone who's read Foundation will know that when a galactic empire collapses, you don't necessarily immediately get peace and justice throughout the world. You're going to get some areas of perhaps peace and justice and some areas where somebody else takes over. And, and So maybe the galaxy mm. split. Because what happened, what happened in those years isn't really touched on it's at all. not at all, at all yeah. no. 
There will be those, I think, and maybe just playing devil's advocate here, who say that the fact that the reset button has been pressed uh, in a way, and we start the movie essentially with the you know Rebel Alliance under a different name and the Empire under a different name, that does that in a way mean that the, the effects of the original trilogy, by and large, are invalidated? That we're right back to where we began again? Admittedly, with some of the characters having moved on, and obviously Han and Leia for the kid, and Luke is off doing what he's doing, but... Um, on a galactic level, on a galactic the Jedi level, are basically extinct. On a galactic level, essentially yeah. what happens at the end of Jedi, Luke's great triumph, the, 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 the defeat of Vader, the defeat of the Emperor, all those little teddy bears who died for nothing on Endor, it's essentially all for naught. Now, I know JJ's obviously trying to make a point about the cyclical nature of, of tyranny and dictatorships, but what, what do you think? There's an element of that being true, although, again, we don't know quite how bad the situation is or how, how good in terms of the balance of power between the First Order and and the Republic. Maybe the Republic is essentially in, in control of most places and it's only the sort of the outer rim that's in the, the mm. First Order's hands or under their sway at all. In fact, we don't know that they control anywhere. We uh-huh. just know that they go in and raid places. Yes. So I guess they could be even smaller than the, Repu- than the Rebellion was last time. With all the resources piled into one... With all the resources one... piled into one giant star <laughs> giant destroyer. Planet-sized solar system <laughs> and killer. Leader. Um, okay, one thing we didn't talk about Han, really, is that he's positioned very much in this movie as the Obi-Wan figure. I mean, there's so much... Just the overtones of the death of Obi-Wan in, in Han's death are, are unmistakable. Inevitable, really, I guess, to position someone in, in, in that role in this movie. Well, he's the mentor of this story, isn't he? You know, in the same way that, that uh, Kenobi was in the first one. It's, it's kind of an interesting shift for Han Solo, isn't it? Mm. The kind of the dodgy smuggler outsider guy kind of being the mentor guy here. I mean, the one who actually tells them all about the Force and it being real and everything. Yeah. Also, could I just jump in at that particular point? That is a phenomenal moment where he's saying it's all true, all of it, the Force, while he is standing in front of the seat that he sat in when referring to hokey religions and ancient mm. weapons. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a lovely a lovely little bit of a... I like to call that a flipperoo. Do you? Yeah, it's a, wow. it's, a, it's a script writing term. Very technical. Dan, very technical. You didn't think it was a little bit forced. Hey, Sorry. did you notice um, uh, Finn <laughs> taking the little training ball doodah mahickey yep. out of out of the box on the? <laughs> That's its official name for the toy. Well, yeah. it's about as official as Dan's word. <laughs> Flipperoo. <laughs> And of course, the chess, the chess piece, the chess pieces, yes, uh, where they dug out. Is it Guillermo had them, didn't he? Did he? Am I am I making this up? No, maybe not. That Guillermo had the pieces. No, isn't it Peter Jackson? Is it it's Peter Jackson? That's right. It's yeah. Peter Jackson. Yeah. Peter Jackson. All these Hobbit directors. Yes, they're right. all the same to me. Uh, Peter Jackson had the original figures, and they needed them. But then I wonder, did they? Did they need to stop motion? It couldn't they have just you know used a bit of. Yeah, but they like to chat they to do. each other. They do. So. Also, I liked the bit in the chess game that the uh, the little uh, the little guy with the with the mace, which the large monster kills in Star Wars, twats the other one over the head in vengeance in this one, which I thought was a, <laughs> a nice moment. So we talked a little bit about the film being the, primarily the search for for Luke Skywalker. There's obviously other things going on as well. But Dan, you have a you have a well, yeah, about this, it's, it's a nig- it's kind of a, it's, a, it's 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 a niggle in the structure of the film. I think it's a really interesting thing to set up that, that Luke's gone missing, and I really like the idea of the film being the search for Luke. So it's almost like they're on a, a road trip. They're going from planet to planet, and, you know, clue to clue, hand joins in, First Order's chasing them, the Resistance is trying to get to them as well, whatever. And I think that would have been a lovely structure for the whole thing. I, I actually feel that Starkiller Base felt like a bit of a sideshow, and a sideshow that took over what I thought was a more interesting element of the plot. So then you kind of, they went off and blew up the Death Star again, even though it was 70 times bigger or however much. And then, oh, quick, but at the end, here we got Luke. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the film, he is second billed in the credits. I don't think anyone has ever done less for second billing. 
with all respect to Mark Hamill, who I'm sure was on set a lot and, you know, just to keep up appearances as much yeah. as anything mm. else. But seriously, he was on screen for, what, 30 seconds and no lines? Second I, billing? That's yeah. pretty good. Going. I was getting quite worried at one point because you remember a couple of months ago when the first poster, when the last poster came out for the movie and he wasn't on it. Mm. And a British bookmaker, I can't remember which one now, uh, gave odds ridiculously. I mean, you wouldn't have made much money, but they gave odds on him not appearing in the film. And then I spoke to him for the, for the issue. Yeah. And he still, he was like, yeah, I was on set. I was filming stuff. So I'm in the film, but I haven't seen it. So it could have been cut out. And even towards the end, I thought, well, okay, they're going to end with, they're going to end with Luke. But there were moments that I felt, oh, hang on, this could be it. It, it could be about to iris in yeah. and uh, directed by J.J. Abrams might come up. And oh God, how many people have made money from this bookmaker? I actually, I thought, oh my God, are they going to do a mid-credit sting? <laughs> I thought, oh my God. you can't do that for Star Wars, but are they going to, is it going to end? Yeah. And then it's going to thing where Luke appears and the sort of takes his cowl off at the very end in a little moment. And I just thought, they can't do that. They can't do that. They can't. No. So I'm glad they didn't do that. Okay. So Luke Skywalker will be around. We'll talk about episode eight uh, soon enough. But what do we think about, what do we think about the end? What do we think about the, the, the final shots of the movie as Ray? Climbs up that tower, leaving Chewie behind. Well, I think I think there's an important question here. Okay, who is Ray? We still don't know. No, we don't. And they've made a bit of a, a deal of her having parents, as if it matters in a way. And is if that's all the double bluff, that seems very un-Star Wars. I wonder if it, it's either setting up who her parents are, or it's a little bit of it, it's trying to feed into her 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 mindset, her motivation. Because there's the whole point that she sees Solo as the father she never had, and she's got massive abandonment issues. I wonder I, if... No, you go too far, though, for that. Because he, there's, there's the flashback to a ship taking off. You know, it yeah. just doesn't feel right. Mm. Yeah. Well, there's also someone speaks to her in, in the voice of Kylo Ren as well, or in a similar voice to Kylo Ren during her Force dream flashback, okay. flash forward, whatever it was thing. Or is that, is that just me misremembering a bit of it? No, there's a, there's a lot that happens in there, and I think that's the only glimpse we get of a poor old Constable Zuvio, is, uh, who clearly found his way to the cutting room floor. But... Yeah, there, there's something going on there. I don't, I don't think she's, uh, you know, people have said, oh, is she Luke's daughter? There is a line, uh, Mascanata says to her, the people who left you aren't coming back, uh, but someone else might. And she goes, Luke Skywalker. Yeah. So implying that there's separation there. But, but the story of Star Wars, the, the, the episodes, and this has been said before, I think JJ even has said this, that, that are the story of the Skywalkers. Now, there's Skywalker blood, obviously, in Kylo Ren. Mm. Oh, yeah. But is there Skywalker blood in Rey? as well. Hmm. I, I don't know. That did, would irritate me a little bit. I did bit. wonder a bit if it was going to be at one point because Han's face, facial movements around her are, are odd. I was wondering if we were meant to think that maybe she was a daughter who they'd sent away for safety or for some reason um, either before or after Kylo went cray-cray. Uh, <laughs> but it seems, it, it's, it, right, it's fundamentally really terrible parenting <laughs> to leave her because you see the hand on the little girl's arm and it seems to be the hand of that scavenger yeah, king Peg, dude who Simon was terrible as in terrible as a person not terrible as, a, as an yeah. effect or, or anything else uh, so it's like fundamentally terrible parenting to leave a tiny child in those hands um, so th- does that narrow down who her parents could have been but then who are her freaking parents mm-hmm. if Luke is too obvious and I feel like he maybe is then <laughs> so what are we talking about in 2017 then about Four weeks apart, we're going to have episode eight and Guardians of the Galaxy two, both about <laughs> main characters looking for the parent who yeah. abandoned them when they were a kid. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, the, the last shot though it's, is it's just, to be fair. Luke really leaves her hanging. 
with her yeah. lightsaber for a good 30 seconds. She's just holding it out and he just looks at her. I, well, don't, I don't think we needed the helicopter shot. I would have cut it just before yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, this, is, this is the moment where I really, really did miss. And I know people are going to go, you idiot. But I really did miss George Lucas because the, the, uh, for all his faults, the man has uh, a, an almost unparalleled eye. And you could just see his final shot of this movie w- would have been maybe, you know, her on one side of the frame, him on the other side of the frame. A very classic, wonderful John Ford composition and then directed by blah, blah, blah. And this kind of blurry helicopter shot, it just felt a little weird to me. But I think the first see- scene of uh, episode eight will almost certainly be her going... <sighs> You dropped this? You're going <laughs> to take gonna, it or not? <laughs> get it back at the Falcon and buggering off again. Um, but he looks awesome, though. When you does. see, I mean, I got chills when he pulls back the hood. Were they multiplying? Oh, yes. <laughs> Were you losing control? Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, just the second when he, he pulls back the hood and you just see him with those piercing eyes and uh, that Jedi mullet, it was... Uh, yeah. and, and, <laughs> oh, like, yes. That was that was a Brendan Gleeson-level streaky beard. Oh, it was, it was glorious. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. badger It was brilliant. I kind of feel it's interesting that it's Ray who goes to see him. The whole movie is about Luke Skywalker, Luke Skywalker. We're going to map to, we're going to try and find this map to Luke Skywalker. It's a, it's a MacGuffin of the piece. So everyone's trying to get their hands in this bloody map to go to the most powerful man in the galaxy. And then when they get the map, Leia, his sister, who has just lost her husband, ex-husband, whatever, father of her child, baby daddy, goes, yeah, uh, you can go and see him. And Chewie, who is as much right as anybody to say hello to Luke Skywalker after all these years, stays the Falcon. Right, one. Yeah, Leia's busy, dude. Yeah, right, totally she's busy. the general. But okay, no, this is don't the most important me. piece. No, no, okay. she is busy. That's what she does. That's, this is why she hasn't got force powers. She just she hasn't got time to go off and do all the Jedi training. She's got an army to run. She's got things to do. Right, okay. and she's got she's got people to do shit for her, like go and find a long lost brother. Okay, right, okay. Two, Chewie. Yeah. Bad joints. Can't get up those steps. <laughs> I mean, that's the actual reason, sure, but, you know, yeah. All right. Okay, I'll, I'll buy it. I'll buy it. So you're saying that Leia's too busy because it's established in Jedi that she has Force powers, that she's Force-sensitive. No, she's Why str- is she not a Jedi? She's that's strong in the Force, but you need to hone them, you know? And so as Dan's she, pointed out, she had a lot of administrative duties. Yes. Yeah. No, yeah. Well, no, and, and tactical duties. And too old to begin the training, presumably. That's right. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, yeah, that, that does make sense. I mean, she, she says, you know, to Han, you know, he says, I went back to the only thing I was ever good at. And she says, well, so did I. Mm. You know, and it's there's a sense that I think they maybe loosened each other up, I guess, or, or, or introduced each other to, you know, different responsibilities, different ways of doing things. And then they've kind of, retru- as they retreated from each other, they retreated back to whatever was most familiar and... For her, it's running a rebellion. I think it's a Luke-Leia dichotomy as well, in the sense that Leia's the one who's the kind of the the hands-on military organisation and whatever, administrative duties, if you might want to put it, (laughs) whereas Luke is the spiritual side. He's kind of, you know, it's a separation of church and state, if you like. He's he's the one that's got to deal with that side of things. And frankly, she's doing a far better job. Oh, yeah. Well, you see that in, in Jedi, don't you? She's leading the strike team. He goes off to wage a moral battle for Vader's soul. <laughs> there you go. But he does because he knows he's endangering the strike team by being there. His mere presence will bring Darth Vader. Sure, his but wrath it's upon about him. the it's about the battle for the soul. And that's why he ran off again. This is Luke's problem. See, I I do wonder. I mean, I really hope this is explained. Luke's exact reason for leaving, because at the moment I feel it slightly diminishes him as a as a, a moral paragon. Look, 
Right. Think of think of how things are for Luke. Right. He did start the training really late on. Okay. Then he found out his dad was basically the biggest bad guy in the galaxy. Uh Right. Okay. He's got. He's had a lot of problems. He's not just like coming into this like Ben Kenobi did back when the Republic was like full on with Uh you know Qui Gon. All right, albeit the worst Jedi who ever lived, but with Qui Gon as his master. Don't start on Qui Gon Jin. Honestly, don't you start on a great rubbish. and noble warrior. Rubbish. Good hair, but See, rubbish. Luke was a mature student. I'm sure they could have had him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Yoda. You know, he 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 left his training when Yoda said you shouldn't do this. Stay here. He didn't listen to Yoda. Uh-huh. You know, he's not perfect, and that's that's why I like him. So the final straw comes when he teaches his nephew, who's very mm-hmm. strong in the Force, and this yeah. nephew goes wibbly wobbly and starts. Killing everyone. If it wasn't for Luke, Han would still be alive. <gasps> you monster. Oh my god. Sorry. Truth bomb time. But, but that's but, that's the way it is, kids. You mentioned the wibbly wobbliness. That's an interesting thing because, again, this isn't explained what happens. We, we see a shot of the Knights of Ren. We hear that uh, Kylo Ren is Lord of the Knights of Ren. And the question is when, as it's alluded to, Luke trained a new generation of Jedi or one of his students, and they don't say killed the others, they say ruined it all. Presumably, that's Ben Solo. And did he kill the other students, or are they the Knights of Ren? Did he subvert them? And this is all because one of the few plot things JJ has said is that it's Snoke who's directly responsible for who uh, Kylo Ren is, who he's become, and also that Snoke has a link directly to the Knights of Ren. These are two things that he has said. The Knights who say Ren. We'll get on to Snoke in a second. A couple of other questions. What's Luke been up to? What is he doing? Is he just standing, staring out to the sea? Has he been standing in that exact position for 13 years? I think there's a parallel between Luke and R2-D2. At first I thought R2-D2, I mean, the the impression C-3PO gave is that he's just depressed. He's going to stay in low power (laughs) mode until Luke comes back. He's having a sulk, an astromech sulk. Not not a sulk, but he's he's depressed. He's he's in a depressive state. And then the, the implication I took from it was that he was actually working on something the whole time. He was trying to dredge up this star chart from back memory or whatever it was. So I think there's something similar going on with Luke. I think Luke might appear to the untrained eye or to Chris to be doing nothing. (laughs) They're both the same. (laughs) (laughs) But in fact, he is trying to dredge up something really important from the memories of the Jedi Order. Or maybe there's like loads of Jedi Mer people in that water around that island and they're all going to come out and they're going to go and fight. Jedi Gungans? Great. Jar Jar Binks? No, okay, rewind. I will say one thing, and that's that between us we have six complete viewings of this film. Uh, and I wonder how many, how many nods, how many references, how many uh, tips of the hat have we all sort of picked up through our various viewings of the film. I mean, the, the most obvious one early on is uh, the appearance of Admiral Nida, who is still banging around <laughs> on the bridge of the Star Destroyer. If you will notice... On the um, at one point on the Millennium Falcon, two characters appear who look just like Han Solo and Chewbacca from the uh, original trilogy. That's very good, Chris. Thanks, thanks, yeah. Chris. Thanks. Uh, yeah. Another one. Uh, to help. Finn's Finn's official name <laughs> FN two one eight seven twenty one eighty seven, which is the uh, number of the cell in which Princess Leia is kept in Star Wars. There we go. I actually yeah. didn't notice that many. I've only seen it once. Usually, before these things happen, I, I'd like to see a film at least twice, uh, but just couldn't. I've only Some seen it once. I've premiere. only seen it once. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that. Yeah, it's fine. It's cool. It's fine. But the second time around. Once you've got past the first time, you allow yourself to, to drink in a lot more. There's a lot of stuff and Easter eggs. And obviously Neenum is uh, seen at one point. And of course Akbar. And Akbar. Akbar. Yep. Uh, played by two people in the credits. What's that about? So was Chewie. I think it's just um, possible ageing of people forced to wear gigantic prosthetics, <laughs> yeah. which are not perhaps conducive mm. to comfort. Also a cameo by the guys from The Raid. 
Yes. Yes. <laughs> Nothing to do the with the original Star Wars. Of the raid. But they, that was just random, numbers. wasn't it? <laughs> I didn't think. I was expecting because you know, we, obviously, they'd been announced that they were going to be there, that they were consulting on the action, which yeah. was very exciting. But they they themselves did not appear to do much in the way of the kind Anything. of acrobatics that we've seen from them before. Uh, so unless they were doing stunts in other scenes, not as those characters, I was a bit I was a bit confused by that. Uh, not that it's not lovely to see them anyway. But, you know, they didn't seem to be doing what I would have expected them to do. Eco Wise and Yayan Ruyen, yep. to be precise. Also good to see the monsters from Grabbers in the film as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, did people spot Thomas Brody Sangster? Yes. Yep. Uh, on, at the arm, helm of the Star Destroyer. Directly, directly mm. for Admiral Leader. Indeed. That's right. Yeah, he is. Um, and, and Dan, mm. talk to me about. Stormtrooper. Oh, your theory. Oh, Storm Dan has trooper. a theory. Dan has a theory. The Stormtrooper. Okay. So I think, I think, and and I have no proof of this. Only my own intuition and observation. My incredible powers of perception, if I may. <laughs> um, oh, please do. Almost, almost, almost supernatural. Um, so the Stormtrooper, the Ray tries the Jedi mind trick on. Yeah, uh-huh. that little sequence. Yeah, I'm convinced is Daniel Craig. I believe you because you told me this yesterday and I went and saw it again last night and I was listening and it really does sound like Daniel Craig mm. doing an American accent. Mm. But also the movement, mm. the way that Stormtrooper walked. I mean, you know, I've seen, Spe- I've seen Spectre quite recently and there was just something about it just made me think, Bond. We do know he's mm. in it in a Stormtrooper outfit. Mm. That, like, he's said that himself. So mm. this is all very plausible. Um, I have to say, uh, another a Twitter follower of mine whose name I have forgotten, I'm sorry, uh, said the same thing and complete, hadn't heard your theory at all. So it's, it's coming from... It, it, that, that resemblance is certainly seems to be there, let's say. Yeah. That is interesting. Mm. Mm. Do, we, do, we, do we check the credits to see if it was played by question mark? How much better would Spectre have been if Bond had been wearing a Stormtrooper helmet at the beginning instead of that, <laughs> that skull thing? So much Yes. But anyway, if, so basically, if it's if it's if it's right, I said it first, and I win. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Dan wins right. at life, Thank you. and yeah. indeed Star Wars. That's an interesting uh, theory. I'm it, say and, it if again. It, and if it's wrong, fine, whatever, I'll take it. Warwick <laughs> uh, uh, okay. Davis is in it as well, but I didn't. Yes. I couldn't connect the name on the credits to no. any specific character. Uh, was it so, was it the, the 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 person that had caught BBA that Ray goes and liberates? You just because he was small. Yes, yes. <laughs> that, James. He didn't. He seemed taller than Mark Davis. But I will have. a He was on like a look. cyborg hippo. So you know. Yeah. Speaking sense. of BB-8, though, and and I love this film, but I loved BB-8 so so much. So much. And the little thumbs up gag is for me. That's that's just oh the best part of the film. I this, loved it. I think this may be the funniest Star Wars film. It's yeah. it's really funny. I mean that gag. The stormtroopers running away when they see that Kylo's in a in a rage. Uh, the other the other moment with Kylo where someone goes to deliver bad news to yeah. him and is visibly quaking, and we're all sitting there thinking, "I know what's going to happen," and we totally don't. And every other thing that John Boyega says, he's so funny in this film. He he's is so very funny. funny. It's the, it's the it's the right thing to do. You need a pilot. I need a pilot. Uh, and the comedy starts really early, even from when you see Ren and, and Poe Dameron. It's yeah. like, do I talk for us? Do, I, it's hard to hear you with the mask. It's really, really nice to I done. wasn't sure about that line. I was like, oh, this doesn't feel like very Star Wars comedy. But as the film went on, it felt much more natural. And seeing it the second time, it didn't it didn't bug me at all. So, yeah. yeah. It's funny, uh, Bayega, in this film, because it's like they, they performed a bit of a bait and switch, wasn't it? Because mm. uh, maybe it's just my interpretation. I always took it that this guy was a, was a stormtrooper and the reason that he's broken ranks is because the force has awakened in him. So, of course, he's the guy that, that we see with the lightsaber and we're supposed to believe that is, you know, is the, this, the, the new hope. But, of course, they, they in, the, in the film, they, they, they flipped it very effectively to mm. Ray. But 
while that's really good and really cool and kind of enables her to, you know, not be the damsel or the princess in distress in the in the hidden fortress and she escapes herself, et cetera, et cetera, and gets to have the lightsaber fight at the end. All lovely stuff. But it did kind of leave the character of Finn hanging a bit. Like, well, okay, so is the, so he's just basically the comic relief? He's, I, I he's, he's the clown he, of the group, is he? I don't he? think what? he's necessarily not a Force user. Ooh. Oh, I think he is. I don't think he... I mean, it's, I think that, yeah, that was all misdirection. I don't, I don't think there was anything really to imply that he had any kind of Force sensitivity. He was quite good at shooting. I thought that might be a little he's bit He's a trained stormtrooper, huh? No, then they're yeah, all bad at shooting. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, much uh, better in this film, though. Yeah. That's very true as well. I don't know. I don't. I don't know that we have enough information to decide one way or another. It's yet. interesting though that the, the the use of the lightsabers and, and this was a JJ thing as well, where he didn't like the clinical choreography of the prequels because they were very, very you know, lots of martial arts went into them. Whereas the original trilogy, the the lightsaber fights, it is people waving sticks around. You know, it's not it's not precise. It's more emotional. It's more about the character beats. I think that's what he was trying to go for with the big lightsaber battle here. It wasn't about the choreography. It was about how would these characters fight. So Ren is very sort of, you know, sulky and lashes out and swings it wildly and she sort of pokes him with the lightsaber. I thought that was quite effective, if not as visually stimulating. I mean, we should say that the original films were still choreographed by masters of the arts. Yes, but it wasn't wasn't about... But this this the prequels all over. The prequels were all about spectacle and visuals, and they had no soul. Uh, Whereas in the originals, it's all about the emotions. It's all about the feels. I think in the originals as well, you were slightly limited by the fact that you had you know the fairly elderly Alec Guinness (laughs) and and the very tall, very strong, very bulky David Prowse, but not you know necessarily the most lithe and athletic people. Wasn't Darth Vader actually? Bob Anderson in some shots. That's right, he was. Mm. Yes, you're yes. Right. Uh, which would who probably is a be master? The, yes, the, the master, the master. James worked, worked right up to Lord of the Rings. Yeah, um, and possibly beyond. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, uh, he is in some yeah. shots in the, in the costume. In his defence, there's a limited. You, you have a limited amount of mobility in the Darth Vader costume. It's not as if you know, like Darth Maul was just wearing a little martial arts outfit and some face paint. Uh, I think when you're wearing. James has helmet. worn the costume. He I knows. Costume. <laughs> in a photo shoot. Yeah, in a photo shoot for Empire. For uh, This was when Sith came out and <laughs> I think the visual gag was what happens when Darth Vader's, you know, retired. Uh, and so I wore the Darth Vader costume with a pair of carpet slippers in front of a raging fire, which was very hot and the costume was hot and I was sweating like a bastard. Um, reading a copy of Empire. So, yeah. There you go. Bloody hell. Uh, let's talk about some new characters then. Where should we start? Should we start with Ray? Well, we touched a bit on her family already. Okay. I, I think she felt a little bit underserved to me. I would have liked maybe just... I mean, it's sometimes as easy as one more scene or like three more lines to get a better sense of a person's character. Right now, what I know about her is she's really keen to wait for somebody back on Jakku. Uh, she's willing to help people and put herself in harm's way to help them. And she finds out she has force powers. And I, I kind of felt like there's some internal mm. spark that I still haven't grasped with her so I didn't I didn't I didn't latch on to her as much as I think I kind of wanted to I felt like I needed just just one more thing one more just ingredient to to make her come fully to life for me I like that both times people try to save her she saves herself and doesn't actually need saving uh, that's a that was a nice touch, but I think you weirdly I think you're uh, you you had it when we came out and you said there are three leads in this and you thought there was room for two I would genuinely have boiled uh, Ray, Poe, and Finn down into two characters. I think I think that would have been 
I think all of them, both of them then would have been brilliantly served. And I think you could do it. I think you could tell this story with only two of those people um, and, it, and it would work really, really well. Phasma was a surprise to me. In what mm. way? In that there wasn't much for her to do. She, I mean, she has a handful of lines, but she doesn't even have a moment. Because let's be honest, Boba Fett's not the most, you know, loquacious of people. But uh, Phasma doesn't have a lot to do. She doesn't have an action moment. She doesn't really have anything. And then her fate, such as it is, whatever it is, is is off screen. So we can hope that she returns in episode eight. There's no guarantee of that. Um, I, I had a... When I interviewed Gwendolyn Christie, she was saying something about, you know, it being over, saying, you know, what happens, you know, now that it's over. And when she said that, I kind of took from that, oh, does that mean her character dies? Her character probably dies, that's maybe why she's saying it. But now I'm thinking she must return, because otherwise it feels that they squandered that character a little. Do you know what I think? Yeah, uh, a lot. Actually, I actually think there was a lot of build-up for, for not much payoff with that character at all. I, I think they they slightly... I think they slightly scrambled in reactions to the first picture that said listen where are all the women it's 2015 and and you know i don't know if she was a man before or not but either way they they bigged her up and they bigged up lapita nyongo as maz kanata um to to try and address that lack and the fact is that the lack is still actually there the lack is there if you wanted to make this you know, a more even split. You could make it an even split. Max von Sydow's character could be a woman. There'd be no change whatsoever to the story. Um, General Hux could be a woman. There would be no change to the story. Uh, Snoke could be a woman. There would be no change. Like, the, if if you were serious about making Star Wars gender balanced, it could be done really, really easily with all these new characters. But that's perhaps a little bit cynical. I, I was disappointed not to see Phasma get more to do. I was a little bit disappointed that you've hired one of the most beautiful women in the world in Lupita Nyong'o and then you stick her in motion capture. That seems like a bit of a... It's just a bad decision, I think. But uh, she did very well in motion capture. She's, she was a good character actress. Um, so, you know, it could be worse. At least it passes Bechdel. At least he has a good character in Ray, even if I think she needed a little bit more love. And it has Leia, who is one of the great female characters to me. I just love her a bit. But enough Leia? I mean, there's never such a thing as enough Leia. Honestly, I just think Leia's terrific i love that she is unapologetically authoritative that she you know successfully commands people that she also has you know empathy to her she also has an emotional side she's willing to comfort the bereaved and the the grief-stricken she will you know hug the returning chewy and be glad to see him so she's not a robot she's not some fierce you know open quote marks strong female character she's a genuinely fabulous character um so I, i don't think there's such a thing as enough leia it would really be nice for one of the main characters to, other than obviously Chewie, to be an alien too, a non-human. Because yeah. mm. um, if you look at the Clone Wars and the Rebels shows, which are more gender balanced as well, um, you get more non-humans mm. in main roles as well. Jar Jar Binks. Nah, it doesn't have to be that though, right? But couldn't you do it like a little bit Star Trek style and have human-esque people who are just a bit different? Forehead prosthetics. Forehead prosthetics, a <laughs> yeah. little bit of skin colour work. Like there's things mm. you can do... Um, that, that they didn't. Yeah, yeah. I'm disappointed Gary Fisher didn't have a cameo. <laughs> that would have been awesome. <laughs> awesome well, dog. I feel like his spirit was there in BB-8. Well, speaking of BB-8, we talked a lot about how Luke isn't there for most of the film, but also R2 is not really in this film. Because yeah. as you say, he sulks through most of it. And I wonder I whether... I you know, are they, <laughs> He's depressed, sorry. You know, is this to give BB-8 a chance to shine? You know, is yeah. there room for two... Chirpy little astromechs? No. I think there is. I think they're, they're delightful together as well. Where BB-8 rolls up to him and sort of bangs on his yeah. on his carapace so to, to wake him up. It's adorable. Yeah, it's a shame R2's not in it more. Although... And R2 doesn't even get to go with them, does he, at the end? 
Yeah, again, what what's that about? Yeah. How does get Martin upstairs. Not go to see his master. His, so his, think, his little jet's broke. Remember? Yeah. I think that if you know, yeah. we can always pick holes uh, with with plots and things. I think like a lot. It, yeah, we can. <laughs> uh, and there were a few. There were a few here that perhaps grated on me a little bit. For example, the you know they established that they can come out of light speed beyond the shield. All of the X wings have hyperdrive, so couldn't they all have done that? And that would have solved the whole problem. Just throwing that out there. And also the fact that the, the secret map is inside R2 who happens to be in the rebel base the entire time. Well, it's a bit like you coincidences. Know. I mean, it starts off, I mean, New Hope starts off with uh, Leia just <laughs> happening to give the plans to 3PO and R2 that are needed all over the planet where Ben Kenobi and Luke Skywalker just happen to be living. I mean, that's that's a fair coincidence, but this movie's full of them. It's full of them. You know, they just happen to run past the Millennium Falcon and then they just happen to get into it and it still flies and they get into space and, and the who open. picks them up? Han Solo it's, and Chewbacca. It's the force at work. It's There's the, no which such is the thing get out of as exactly. Which is also how they can see one planet destroyed from another planet's surface that appears to be in a completely different star system. It's oh, fine. Because one's in the mid-rim. It's just one giant rim job. Forced joke awakens. <laughs> yeah, sorry, no, but but just if to get on a proper note, like that's the Hosnian system we're told. Yes. Uh, so that I believe the one that looks like Coruscant, the city one, I think is is. But well, we is, don't think it is Coruscant. Yeah, it's, it's, no, it's Hosnian Prime. But but okay. and I have a galactic map in front of me because I'm that guy. Uh, Coruscant isn't far from Hosnian Prime. It is it is still part of the galactic core uh, near Kuat and Corellia. Siri, how far from here to? <laughs> What's it called? So, Siri, can we see Coruscant from Hosnian Prime? So is that Hosnian Prime plus its moons or plus other planets? Well, this was unclear. It says they wiped out the Hosnian system, so presumably okay. it's Hosnian Prime and whatever other planets are in that uh, solar system. It's pretty oh. far from Coruscant. I mean, it's as far from Coruscant as it is from Kashyyyk. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. Uh, and also equidistant from uh, Takodana. Uh, oh, the tastiest planet. Yeah, that's Maskinata's planet. And I think, is it Dakar is the planet where we actually find Luke Skywalker in the end? I okay. think that's Dakar. Is it? Yeah. They, they need more, you know, like you know, movies that show a cityscape and it's the Eiffel Tower and it goes, Paris. We yeah. need that. Star Wars needs <laughs> yeah. that. It goes, yeah. Dakar. Hos- Hosnian Prime. Taco Bell. <laughs> All those planets. So let's talk then about uh, two of the other major characters. One, Finn, we talked about him a little bit. Mm. I, I, f- I felt John Boyega was probably the best new thing about the film for me. I thought uh, I thought Han Solo was great. What's his name? Harrison Ford. I thought he was great. I love Chewie. You know Chewie. You know, yeah, I, I, I know worship the, the ground that walking carpet walks on. Uh, and I loved 3PO's introduction in this film. Yes. I thought that was great. <laughs> Makes me laugh even <laughs> just thinking about it. But I thought Boyega, Boyega was great. There's a reason why he has his own T-shirt. <laughs> uh, thanks to Dark Bunny's Dark Bunny t-shirts he's he's absolutely fantastic um, I would a- actually add Adam Driver to that list of new things that I love mm-hmm. but um, but Boyega was I mean he, he showed a huge amount of charisma back in Attack the Block uh, but he was nowhere near this funny in that film obvious, for obvious reasons and and I just had no idea that he was this hilarious um, on screen and I, I thought he was totally charming uh, you know just just seemed completely natural, completely at ease, mm. uh, and and had great kind of bouncing off chemistry with with everyone he came into contact with. He was he was such a pleasure to watch. Mm. Yeah, he was it was interesting character as well. You know, just yeah. that the, the, you know, the background of the character and the way he's kind of faking it. Yeah, basically faking his way through this adventure. 
But uh, I think I think Driver was overall the strongest element of the film. I think okay. by far. I think performance-wise, in terms of the character, I just I, you know if if did when people said what's the best thing in it, uh, you know, after I saw it, I just said Adam Driver as the first thing that kept spraying to my mind. Interesting. I get what Helen means with the Kylo Ren. You know, he is the perfect. Uh, delivery of the Anakin arc mm. <clears throat> in three movies compressed into one movie. And you could argue as well, there's the whole I am your father, the revelation of the father, uh, you know, thing which is obviously stretched into across several movies in the original trilogy and that's very much res- resolved, introduced mm. and resolved very, very quickly in this one. Um, but for me, I'm not a huge, I didn't love Kylo Ren as much as you guys did. I thought he was fader light all the way through. Yeah, Boyega, Boyega really shone. As did Oscar Isaac. As Poe Dameron, I wanted more of him. Yeah, my big, my big, my big concern about those guys is that Poe Dameron's introduced, and he's really, really great. He's really charismatic, and I do wonder whether uh, Abrams and Kasdan thought we can't have two, effectively two Han Solos in the one movie. So he kind of exits stage left, pursued by Wampa, and mm. then doesn't appear again for eighty minutes. And then when he does appear, you go, "Ah, oh, I'm fine. Uh, you thought I was dead. I'm not dead. I'm fine. I'm probably <laughs> in a deleted scene that you'll see in the DVD." Yeah, I think we needed more of Oscar Isaac, but, you know, you I'm, think a, I'm a human female, so, <laughs> hey. Uh, he also had, he was also one of two characters with particularly magnificent hair, Adam Driver being the other one, which led, <laughs> which led one person I was talking to to speculate that the helmet that Kylo Ren wears has hundreds of tiny hair dryers inside it, so when he takes it off, they instantly give him a bit of a boof. Adam Gerard, I don't see editor said that. He did, you're yep, right. Yeah, because he said the noise that it makes when it comes off as well, the noise, that's, that's it, blow-drying his hair. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's one theory. The other theory is, of course, that the dark side gives you great hair, but the emperor would tend to suggest otherwise. This is true. I actually like the idea that he uses his, the force to, to calm his hair down. Or, or I would love to see a fight with <laughs> the final, final fight between Rey and Kylo Ren. He's got this helmet hair that's going everywhere. That'd be amazing. But so, yeah. anyway, we're possibly slightly more, off. Yes, uh, more Poe Dameron, uh, I say, is what I say, damn it. A um, couple of characters that may not have worked for us. Mm. Uh, we talked about Captain Phasma already. Uh, let's be honest, the giant disappointment that was Supreme Leader Snoke. Giant in the literal sense. Giant in the literal no, sense. No, I'm not sure no, the character's no. actually that tall. He's a, he's a giant think, hologram. Yeah, the hologram's giant because he has, obviously, inferiority complex. Uh, uh, the character, I imagine, is, is normal-sized. Phil Disemley in this parish uh, <laughs> has a great theory about uh, Supreme Leader Snoke he thinks he's uh, basically someone a Thanos found on his LinkedIn page I mean it's just this, <laughs> this evil character who just sits on a th- seat and does nothing I thought he might be zombie Voldemort yeah <laughs> I, I wonder whether it wouldn't have and I'm sure Andy Serkis might agree with this it would have been nice if they'd maybe ironed out the look of that character before they did the film because this came quite late. He re- he did the character, didn't he, Dan? You spoke to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he performed the character and they just didn't know what he looked like. They hadn't mm. decided on it yet. They just knew that it had to be done via performance capture mm. uh, because of the look. But did it? Because to me, that look could have easily been done with prosthetics because it's essentially a bald man with scars. No, he's, he's, he's missing bits. You didn't see it too closely because I think they were trying to keep the film... Um, PG thirteen or twelve A, but he's he's he seems to have a hole in his skull. Yeah, he's somewhere. got kind of holes mm. and and really like deep deep crevasses, mm. which I don't think you could and, and a big and a, and a big scar down his face. Yeah, like Kylo Ren gets at the oh, end, um, leading to my theory that Snoke is Kylo Ren from the future. But then he lo- <laughs> that means he loses his magnificent hair. Well, they all do when they go to the dark side. <gasps> it happens to us all. This is terrible. Wait. 
Don't go to the dark side. <laughs> it's too late for him. And then you'll be fine. Um, obviously, we'll find out more about Supreme Leader Snoke. But he's a projection from the future. We le- you can do this. We learned this in Interstellar. No, but he he also said, okay, what would the, yeah, but let's not get back into interstellar discussions. But um, listen to our spoiler podcast for that. <laughs> but hang on, he can't be a projection from the future because he says to Hux to get Kylo Ren and bring him to me. So he's in a place that they can go. Well, technically, if they leave somewhere and they go somewhere and it happens later, they're going into the future. Mm-hmm. You're both the worst. <laughs> Watertight. <laughs> Should we talk about Hux for a minute? <laughs> Why not? Because I didn't think he was going to be a big role because we'd seen what one shot of him in all the trailers just wearing a magnificent coat and doing nothing else. And... Uh, and then he turned out to be quite important. And I like that there was a sort of a... He was almost the Grand Moff Tarkin to Kylo Ren's Vader, except that there, there was much more rivalry between them instead of that sort of sense of mutual respect that you got from those two. Mm. There seemed to be more to be equals in this one, really. Exactly, yeah. There's just more of a sense of, I don't know, jostling Hitler youth about them, Very wasn't there? So, that kind yeah. of, you know, sort of, I'm, I want to be in charge. No, I'm in charge. Sibling rivalry. It was, mm. and, and it fed into this whole idea that Kylo Ren is a bit adolescent, and so is Hux, I think, in those scenes. Mm-hmm. They come across as very, very childish, which I think is almost more scary rather than less. The, yeah. the balls on Hux, though. I mean, yeah. you know, he's in charge, but Kylo Ren, fairly powerful guy. I wouldn't piss him off. But hey. Hux has the sort of protective umbrella, I guess, of Snoke. Yeah. Well, the protective umbrella is going to stop him from one of those force jokey things. Yeah, as yeah but then what the, would Ren tell Snoke? With the blurry lightsaber? He just go, Hux fell over. <laughs> Onto my lightsaber. 17 times. Well, and then he fell into the chasm of doom. And then I, I told you we should have put a railing up. <laughs> <laughs> I told you! Health and safety, man! Um, yeah, I thought, I thought that... that that role hopefully is something that uh, Donald Gleeson who's a brilliant actor can grow into a little bit I, re- I did yearn a little bit for the understated sinisterness of uh, which probably isn't a word but there you go of Peter Cushing as Grand Moff I, I quite enjoyed Hux being just a sneer like that's all he is he's yeah. just a sneer mm. he's, he, and, and in that speech that he gives he's such a spitting fascist um, I, I quite enjoyed that I'm not that I like spitting fascists I, I don't spitting um, fascists are the worst <laughs> well they're nearly as bad as Dan and James well the ones that bite you have to get close but the spitting ones can hit you from across the room let's talk about Mrs Yoda Maz Kanata what do we think of her uh, Yoda was unavailable, so they brought yeah, in someone she's else. She's more tiny. of an ET. I actually thought she was going to. When she took off the goggles, she looked loads like ET, and I thought her finger was going to like extend and blow <laughs> at the end or something. I was going to go, my God! I meant in terms of the the, the, uh, the role she plays in the film. Her function oh. in the movie is oh. to impart wisdom to uh, someone who has force powers. Really? Uh, so I thought maybe you know, I don't know what whatever, whatever reason Yoda wasn't available. I guess you dead. You could you could say dead. Right. You could also argue he was busy. I mean, yeah, I, I'm going to argue dead. Gonna, gonna <laughs> she struck me as a little... Uh, and She was little, yes. Uh, she was, struck me as really quite little. Uh, <laughs> uh, reading of this film is excellent. <laughs> Thank you. I have seen it twice. Um, <laughs> that whole sequence, if I'm honest, on that planet, uh, which, lest we forget, is Taco Bell, um, could have probably probably been excised. You know, you could lose her, you could lose that whole sequence. You know, it was a stepping stone. You could certainly um, speed it up. It felt a little bit like... that. I mean... You watch the film, there's an awful lot of nodding to A New Hope and indeed all the other films. In many ways, when people call this a reboot of the Star Wars franchise, it's almost literal. It does feel like a retreading of that. And it felt like they wanted the cantina beat in there, which is why they inserted the sequence. Um, but I'm not entirely sure. And Lupita Nyong'o is great. And she, as you say, she was a good character actress. In this, she plays a part. Well, why was she 
Why? Well, I guess we maybe needed that flashback or that force vision. Mm. Um, An elaborate setup just for her to encounter. But then, you know, as you say, we don't know how she got the lightsaber. Maybe her role grows in episode eight. And also, of course, that gives us our first clash between the Resistance and the First Order. It does. Which I guess is perhaps more important. Which is the, yes, call the First Order, call the Resistance. A lot of snitches in that bar. I enjoyed, by the way, the uh, music in that, which was Lin-Manuel Miranda, my new favourite composer, because I'm obsessed with Hamilton. Go listen to it. I enjoyed the reference of uh, Chewbacca as her boyfriend. Yes. Um, I'd like to see how that works. <laughs> Whoa, um, you write your own slash fiction on your own time, okay? Uh, speaking of slash fiction, do we really think this is the first time Han has placed his hands on Chewie's bowcaster in... 50 years do you really think that they are life partners <laughs> I mean come on he was very surprised at how, how hard it shot wasn't he <laughs> yeah he must have yeah. seen it it's a very powerful weapon yeah. I think he was unprepared for so much to talk about with this movie we don't have a lot of time left very very quickly uh, what do we expect from episode 8 I'm hoping we're going to see, uh, well, I think we're going to see more Luke. We could hardly see less, um, <laughs> so that's good. I, I'm interested to see how his relationship with Ray progresses, even assuming that they're not father and daughter, which I kind of am. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see if he's even willing to teach someone else to use the Force or if there's a, some res- some kind of resistance there to that notion. Do you think we have a training montage in our imminent future? We what, might if we're lucky. What with Daisy Ridley running around with Mark Hamill on her back. Yeah. Doing, yeah. <laughs> doing While the Rocky music plays. I'm not yeah. sure it's going to be quite along those lines, but sure, yeah. Um, I'm also interested because I think Snoke is going to take more of a hand personally and I'm kind of interested to see how the heck they play that because it was quite cool having him as a gigantic hologram. I was amused by that, even if you weren't. But I'm not sure if how you do that any any smaller and, and yeah. still make him have that sort of overwhelming presence. So I'm kind of interested to see how they develop He's that. He's going to be six inches tall, isn't he? That would Dan. be funny. I think we're going to see the other Knights of Ren yeah. coming into it, like all the bounty hunters in Empire Strikes Back. Yep. Uh, I think so we're going to see maybe more broadsabers or or, yeah. or just see variants of, you know. If Dengar is a Knight of Ren, it will instantly be my favourite film ever. I'm thinking more <laughs> along the lines, I'm thinking more along the lines of the Inquisitors in Rebels or something like that. This yeah. is amazing. I, I, I'd love to see the other Knights of Ren. We could see Carluccio's and Coat Brasserie and Yosushi and all those other famous Jedi that we've long missed. Kylo, Spilo, Milo. Stimpy. Trilo and Philo. <laughs> I, I um, think what we're looking for is the next chapter in this story because, uh, and I said this when we came out it, unlike any of the other Star Wars films this feels like instead of making three films they've made a film and split it into three it, this to me was the fellowship of, the, uh, of the, the Star Wars films it was a set up to a second act which we haven't yet had uh, so this was, this was all yeah. prologue for me and I, I'm now looking for the middle bit which Lucas didn't really know when he made a, when he made a New Hope. He didn't really know there was going to be sequels. No, yeah. He was despite what he says. And Fader obviously still is still alive yeah. and still knocking yeah. around at the yeah. end of New Hope. But he very much wraps it all up in a bow. This asks as many questions as it answers. Um, and I, I, you know, and as much as I enjoyed the film, I I would really like to see someone like Ryan Johnson. I think a little bit J.J. Abrams plays Star Wars jukebox a little bit here. There's a mm. little bit of Star Wars karaoke going on uh, in the same way that Into Darkness was quite slavish and, and, and took familiar Trek elements and put a new spin on them. This does the same. So Han becomes Ben. There's a attack on the Death Star at the end. That sort of thing. And I think someone like Ryan Johnson could really bring something fresh to it. I think there may be an element here of what happened with Harry Potter where you had to have Chris Columbus come in first of all um, and and be fairly faithful to what had 
you know, gone in the books in that case and what had gone before in, the, in, in this case. But he had to hire the right cast. He had to nail that. And JJ's really good at casting. He had to tell a solid enough story and set up enough mysteries that then other people can play. Because if you talk to the Harry Potter directors, they all give him a huge amount of credit for setting up this world. And then they all give Alfonso Cuaron a huge amount of credit for then breaking all the rules and doing something different. And I think that's what we need to see. We need to see JJ as essentially the Chris Columbus here, setting up the new rules of this new Star Wars universe, these new characters to play with. And now Ryan Johnson and the rest coming in and doing something completely different. Mm. Favourite moment, very quickly, favourite moment. Uh, Kylo Ren. And doing Han. Kylo Not Ren my favourite, but like the most, the, most, the most important, the most memorable moment to me was that. You're a sicko. Jimbo. Uh, for mine, it was the, the that that wonderful uh, interplay with, between Finn and BB-8 while Ray's fixing. When he's like, "Come on, help me out, help me out!" and then the thumbs up at the end, and BB-8 does the little flame thumbs up. It's such a wonderful moment. That was brilliant. Absolutely love it. I mean, the physical comedy and massive, massive hats off to Brian Herring, who's the the puppeteer uh, from Scanlan's Creature Shop, who actually does the the, the BB-8 puppeteering because um, he has so much personality. That little droid does love it. Yeah, love him. Dan, you got one? Uh, yeah, the first flight of the Falcon. That chase down through the crushed superstar destroyer, zipping good. and dodging yeah, around, looping the looping and all that business and the whole choreo- choreography of that sequence. It's actually the best action scene in the whole film. That was great. I, I also want to see, and by the way, in episode eight, I want to see a sort of double act of Poe and Finn. Uh, I really like their little scenes together and I think they would be great kind of just bunting off each other. Absolutely. And with some ninum in there as well. Sure. Bring it back in. My favourite moment, I don't really know. Um, I loved 3PO's entrance, which seems <laughs> weird, especially when I phrase it like that. But there you go. Um, so does Artie. Yeah. I think anything with, with Han and Chewie, really, in this one. Uh, I just, I, I thought the interplay between them was, was, was spot on, so to speak. So that is it for our Star Wars The Force Awakens spoiler special. Our next spoiler special, All Being Well, will probably be... For Batman v Superman, colon, Dawn of Justice, <laughs> next year, next March to be precise. And then, of course, we have the regular podcast, which returns on Friday, January the 8th, uh, and every Friday after that. Voted one of iTunes' best of 2015, if you haven't heard the regular podcast. Uh, we're very proud to have been uh, voted that by iTunes. Um, so do check out the regular podcast. And then, of course, there's our review of the year's podcast special, which is up at the uh, in about a week's time towards the end of 2015. And there's numerous spoiler specials that we've had this year, uh, some great, great stuff uh, from uh, Ant-Man to Avengers Age of Ultron, Mad Max Fury Road to Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. They're all there for you to listen to while you take a break over Christmas. And that's it. Thank Yay. you so much to Helen. Thank you. Thank you so much to Dan. Watu, watu. <laughs> and to James. It's a trap! <laughs> and that's it for me. I'm going to say something I've wanted to say for a long, long time. I still want to give Attack of the Clones five stars! No, no, I'm only kidding. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. May the Force be with you. Thanks for listening. Bye. 